Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Support for this podcast comes from Zyrtec. Ah, the sweet sound of consistent allergy relief with Zyrtec. What does it sound like, you ask? Well, it sounds less like sniffling and sneezing and more like birds chirping, kids playing, and long sighs of relief. Zyrtec starts working at hour one and stays strong day after day. So allergy sufferers can feel the love for spring like everyone else. Try Zyrtec for consistent allergy relief. Use only as directed. Visit Zyrtec.com. Very special guest, longtime friend Zach Gehring from the band May. People know about uh, was on Tooth and Nail for a while, and recently had a reunion tour, and been longtime friends. And it was great to have you here, Zach. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to do this thing, and you know, you are a good good friend. He's been around for a long time, uh, and I'm stoked to be here. Awesome. Thank you for those compliments. Oh, that, no that, that that usually doesn't happen. Usually. You deserve much more, but you know, I, I got you know, I'm I'm speaking on the fly here. I can't, you know, I don't want to jumble my words. <laughs> um, well, I just, you know, let's. We've got a lot to go over. You know, the bands May is one of my favorite bands, and I think uh, influential in the in the scene. And kind of talk about sort of how you got into music, sort of your journey up till sort of, you know, joining mate, was there anything that kind of jumped out at you when you were in, in, into music and kind of getting into bands? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if we're going to go with, with my personal journey, it's going to start a long time ago. Um, you know, I grew up in Florida, in central Florida near Orlando and I was a big basketball kid initially. I love sports and I was really short. I don't, I don't know why I decided to choose basketball to really devote time to, but all, you know, up through middle school and into high school, I was a big, big on basketball and I quit. I quit basketball. I was bummed. I was done with it. And just right about that time, um, like music was taking over. So it's kind of this thing where it just had to happen. And for me, I mean, I was young, I was in 10th grade. Uh, I remember in high school and just, you know, I was getting this group of friends and they're just really into punk rock. And I was in a few bands in high school. You know, one band was called uh, End Result. That was a straight-edge pop-punk band. Fuck yeah. That I was yeah. in. <laughs> and then I started my own band, and we had this great name. It was called Unsung Zeros. And I remember getting the name from my buddy Dave Stevens, and uh, he, he, he sent me this list of names that I should choose from. And one of them was Ollie North and the Arms Traders. And I thought that was a great name. It was, you know, very topical at the time. But um, anyway, 
I'm, I'm uh, divulging here. So I, I started a band called Unsung's Ears, and we're just, uh, you know, this really crappy pop punk band. I mean, I was writing the songs, I was singing, and I'm not a singer. So it was a lot of fun. We were playing local shows. And then we got a couple guys on board that wanted to take it, you know, a little more seriously. And so we just started booking our own tours. And, um, you know, the first year out of high school, I think it was 99, I graduated in 99. So in the fall of 1999, we went on our first tour. And it was crappy. It was horrible. It was in a minivan with a car top carrier. The shows were not good at all. We didn't make any money, obviously. But from there, it never stopped. Just got touring and touring and touring. And um, ironically enough, you know, it's, we were on a, a, a label called Eulogy Recordings out of South Florida. And um, they're actually the first label that put out Newfound Glory's debut record. And so we were stoked on that. So we're like, okay, cool, Newfound Glory is a good label. A lot, of, a lot of brutal hardcore bands. We ended up going on this hardcore tour with like Until the End and um, This Day Forward. And we're, uh, funny story, we, were at, we played a show at CBGB's, and, you know, mind you, we're like a really, you know, for lack of a better word, pretty punk band, you know. Um, the guys, uh, you know, we were just like, we weren't a great match for these brutal hardcore bands that we were playing with. And we were playing CBGB's, and during, um, until the end set, uh, Mike Ski, the singer of Brothers Keeper, he was at the show, he got stabbed in the leg at the show at CBGB's. Wow. And I'm like sitting side stage and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I'm like, you know, 19, 18 years old. I have no idea what's going on. I'm in New York City in this guy's What year was this? It had to have been either 2000, uh, I want to say 2000 or the latest 2001 because um, it must have been maybe 2001 because by the time we were on Eulogy, so we were touring that package and. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was just a very surreal moment. And I wasn't even like, that was so young and naive. Like, I was still, you know, coming up, you know, stoked on, you know, MXPX and Pink 182. And I'm in this show of CBGBs and this guy's getting stabbed. And um, <clears throat> what can you say? You know, it, it was a great experience. That's crazy. I, I, that's why <laughs> I, I worked um, a block away from CBs around that time. Um, so I'm surprised there I wasn't at that show or. Um, I'm glad I wasn't. Did you, did you stab Mike Ski, Tom? I did. I actually hate Brothers Keeper, so <laughs> I can't um, stand them. So, yeah, you know, that was like my whole life for about five years, maybe four or five years until I was going to quit school. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, quit the band and go back to school because I quit college to be in Unsung Zeros. And we had gotten to a point, I was just over it. And um, our last tour um, was with May. So for, I don't know how that happened. For some reason, Eva, who was booking May at the time, booked May on this tour with us. And it was a crappy tour, like most of our tours were. You know, we, we worked hard. So I don't want to, you know, it was just very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I met up with May. And the first guy I met in May was Matt Beck, who I, you know, ended up taking his spot, you know, uh, maybe a few months later. At the end of the tour, I was going to go home and go to school. Matt Beck had already left, you know, and they had more shows to do. So I just told told Dave, who was a singer in May, I said, hey, if you need any help, you know, I know you guys are out, you know, I don't know, let me know I'm a guitar player. I'll play with you guys until you get someone new. 
so that was in the summer of 2002 or 2003. It was right after Destiny's Beautiful came out. Mm-hmm. It was 2003. And I toured with them, and that was that. And I pretty much stayed with them. I mean, I did. I stayed with them for the for the whole rest of May's, you know, touring career. And that's how I got to where I am today. And, you know, some music has, for me, been the, you know, one motivating driving force that kind of made my decisions for me, you know, up until about a year ago when we stopped touring so much. So that's how I, that's how I got to May. It was, it was, the interesting thing I found was I remember when uh, Matt, left. I mean, Matt, I, I, quick side stories for everyone kind of knows the whole story and we can all, um, is that Matt was in a band called Spitfire, which is on Tooth and Nail, and his drum, the drummer in the band, Chris, dated a girl, and I think I told this in the last podcast, but she dated a girl at the school I went to, ended up meeting them, hanging out a bunch. Matt was Matt would call me and say, dude, uh, I'm in this new band, um, they're called May, I want to send you a song, and he sent me Embers and envelopes and I heard it when I was at this label and I was like oh my god this is amazing uh send me another song he sent me summertime (laughs) and I went oh my god this is crazy these are like two jams do you have a whole (laughs) record of this and he was and he said you know if anyone knows back he's you know, awesome dude, always excited, always stoked. <laughs> and so he's like, dude, you got to come out and see us. So I actually, I was friendly with the A&R team um, and the owner of the label at the time when I worked at TVT Records. And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll fly you down. And so this was me. I'm just out of college. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing at all. I'm doing college radio. And they're like, go fly down and hang with this band. Ended up hanging with everybody and... Um, seeing the show it was great. Nothing had happened. Um, this was before Tooth and Nail. This is when the band had just put out, um, you know, their their EP. Uh, but it was a great kind of early experience for me to kind of hear a band and say, "This is going to go somewhere. This is this is something that kids are going to connect to." And it was a great feeling, and that's why I always had such a connection to the band. And it, and it was with you. I honestly think. There must have been like three or four shows that I saw May where I don't even think we talked. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I I feel like the first time we really talked, it was, I want to say somewhere in New York, like Buffalo, some upstate New York show. Rochester. Probably, what, maybe, you know, it was, it was probably Albany. Yeah, exactly. And it was with like, uh, man, who was it with? I forget who we were on tour with that, 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 that was like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> it was awesome. Don't worry about it. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, and I totally met you. And it's funny because, you know, I was a huge fan of May before I joined the band, which is, you know, for me, it was kind of, I've always had this slightly outside perspective um, in terms of how we made decisions because I was a fan before I joined the band. And I was just a fan of music, you know, all these, you know, I grew up listening to punk rock and then hardcore and, you know, just eventually just kind of, you know, went all out and just was stoked on music in general on this in the scene and and whatever whatever was going on and you and i sat i think we're on a bus at the time maybe not maybe we're in a van i don't know but you and i i remember talking to you about bands on equal vision and just like getting stoked on on hardcore bands and all the stuff that that i we both had listened to Mm -hmm. and you know some of the may guys didn't come up in that same world um 
Yeah, I, 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 that that's totally true. I, I now I remember that. Yeah, it was like you were stoked on all these old. Ba- I mean, obviously you toured with this day forward, which yeah. turned into circa. It's exactly. like you knew sort of the. It's funny you stopped basketball in tenth grade. That's when I stopped, because <laughs> I got cut from the tenth grade. I got cut from JV. I was the like thirteenth guy on the twelve twelve man team. I got cut, and I'm sorry, my three was much more clutch than the guy that got on the team. No offense, he's not going to listen to this podcast, but his three took about four minutes to for him to release. I had a I had a quick release. Whatever, like a, like a Bill Cartwright three. It took forever, exactly, and my three was just on point. Anyway, regardless, I'm still a little upset about it, as you can see. So anyway, I got cut, and I ended up being a videographer for the team because I was into video and audio. And but then I started being in a band, and which no one will ever hear. I don't care how much money you give me. I'm not playing you my first band. Um, but that kind of I made that turn and it was punk rock shows hardcore shows being straight edge you know uh <laughs> being way and then it kind of turned into post hardcore and then went into sort of you know emo yeah and it's sort of you had that same path and it's when we were on that bus talking it was like those same bands came up because we could make the Mike Ski joke we could yeah. make I'm sorry <laughs> I got stabbed we could yeah. you know we could make those connections and uh that was definitely you know, great to have you sort of know that scene because it well, helps. <laughs> that's what I noticed, you know, with the with the first podcast or the last one I listened to. Um, you and who is the who who is the your friend that you have on the podcast as well? Ray Harkins. I believe that he was uh, he had the same trajectory as I did. I was listening to it and I was like, man, you know, because you know, ninety seven, ninety eight, when I was in high school, it was like Fad Records, you know, all the way. Totally. And then you know, I eventually got into bands like strife like the the victory when they had mm-hmm. earth prizes strife and all that stuff i remember um a friend of mine named tony he was like this you know quintessential you know punk rock guy in high school we always hang out and he was starting to get to emo bands and at the time i just didn't have any idea i was like still in my own world you know punk rock that i was almost self-righteous about it and you know, i was a young naive, stupid punk you know and started talking liking these you know what he called emo bands and i was like oh you know whatever that was just like alternative music recognized by the hardcore scene it's like blah 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 I was just like dismissing it and he, i remember this one day i told him that in class i just like dissed like what i knew or what i didn't know about emo I just made i you know made a joke he lunged at me in, in art class and like started choking me it was he was kind of joking but at the same time he was really mad that what I. what band did you make fun of well, it was just the, the genre in general. That's what nice. it, it was like, a, you know, it's the bullshit kind, you know? And uh, he, he like, you know, oh, you jerk and like lunged at me and like, choked me out or whatever. And you're kind of laughing off, laughing it off. But, you know, that's when I started noticing, you know, a lot of my buddies were talking about emo bands. And um, I was like, okay, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And I remember, you know, not liking the Get Up Kids first uh the four minute mile. I remember. Really? The, I remember listening to that record. Like I don't, I don't like it. But at the same time, I fell in love with uh, Power of Failing, Minerals for that, that mineral record. Hell yeah! And uh, Sunday Real Estate. Like for some reason, you know, those are the three like emo bands that are making. You know, everyone's talking about in Orlando and Central Florida. It was all you know, Sunny Day, and it was all Mineral and Get Up Kids. And for some reason, I just <laughs> I just didn't fly with Get Up Kids until they put out my, one of my favorite Get Up Kids records is a. Uh, um something right home about 
that's the one after that uh, on a wire. On a, I love on a wire. Yeah, that's I great think record. you know that that era between Southern Right Home About and honestly Guilt Show. I'm I'm, I'm not too familiar with the, the latest record, but up until Guilt Show, I, I think you know they're an amazing band. I love that band. We got a tour with the New Amsterdam's um, at one point. I forget like 2007, I think it was, and uh, it was awesome, man. I was just getting to have a beer with Matt Pryor, you know, and I'm like this. You know, the geek in me is coming out, you know, trying to trying to stay cool because, you know, New Amsterdam at this point is supporting May. I just feel like a jerk. I was just like, man, you know, this band's great. And I love this band. And it was a cool moment. But, yeah, I don't know why I didn't like that first Kid of Kids record. I still never listened to it. Really? That's the the first record that a friend told me. I mean, I was at a hardcore show and my friend is like, oh, you, you, you're like emo. You're going to you got to get four minute mile. And I got it. And it, that was it. I mean, it was it was kind of, I mean, I told the story in the last podcast about yeah. finding that box of records. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that opened up the, that get up kids record was like, okay, let me look at the back of the liners and find out who exactly, you know, and, yeah. I would, you know, when I was, you know, and you know, just super into punk rock, I would li- literally, you know, I, I remember buying Rancid's uh, self-titled cassette tape. Hell yeah. And uh, <laughs> I just looked at the, the thank list. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to buy this band. I'm going to buy this band because I thank them. I remember seeing Social Distortion's mainliner. I didn't even know who the band was, and it literally just looked punk. So I bought it. And that's what's cool about what that music leads you to do. I mean, for me anyway, it was just, you know, you buy things on a whim these days. Like, you don't, you know, when you, like, people have to research what they buy. They say, oh, I'm not going to spend this money on this, blah, 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 blah. I want to know what it sounds like first. You sample the track of iTunes. I mean, I was going into record stores and buying stuff based on another band's thank list. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that that was the thing. I mean, you would that that was like validity for a band. They were yeah. like, okay, they they thank you guys thanked X, Y, and Z and Madball and whoever. All right, yeah. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a Madball record now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that that was definitely a. Um, if you got in that thank list and oh, I was just thinking of the thank list in the e the May EP. I don't know if you ever saw what Matt Beck when he thanks me, what he says. I didn't see. I haven't seen it. What did he say? <laughs> he says he's like thanks to Tom Moen or whatever. Um, get out of my lane. You're like you're blowing it up. Oh crap! I gotta find it now. <laughs> he says something like he says some ridiculous thing that I told him and he like latched onto it and put it in as the quotes. It's so <laughs> ridiculous, dude. <laughs> that's so funny i mean i remember man it's so good i remember going to like my friend pat he was straight edge too and we called him pat edge just like mm-hmm. a stupid nickname and he, he still goes by it. i called him stupid i don't mean to insult him but um we get into his car after high school and drive like 40 minutes to a DIY records in orlando and you know that's what's so great about what was going on and i was thinking about it today because that you know your your blog's called wash up email and emo's obviously become this um, very stigmatized word, um, especially to people who came up loving emo when it when it was you know a burgeoning kind of growing scene. And I feel like the the word just you know was understood in a very specific context for a very specific at the time very you know select group of people. Mm-hmm. So the the word made sense in context of what was going on. And then, you know, the bigger it got, that word is generally so vague that it, it becomes appropriated to everything or misappropriated to everything. So now you have bands, you know, 
aren't that aren't connected to I don't know, it's very difficult to say because I don't want to dismiss any bands that kind of were called emo regardless of what they did or what they played or anything like that. It just became a tagline. I just think for something so specific and, and contextual to come out you know, as a reaction to what was going on, you know, when it did happen. Just, you know, everything makes sense and the word to me still holds true, it's still accurate, it still makes sense. But at the same time, you know, you know, it makes sense up up against what other things were going on at the time. Bands were, you know, were just going a different direction and I don't know. It's it's a very spiral discussion. Yeah, the the word is we kind of brought it up in the last one. I think there's so much more to discuss about it, is that the, it was an honest feeling. It was yeah. a, it, it was a, yes, certain bands didn't want to use it or they, it's, but early on, I mean, that, that was a, a genre and, and, and a, and a, and a, and a word that you mentioned that, that meant something. And it was, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I would go to the, I went to school in North Carolina and there would be shows and you would just get so excited because, whatever, you know, uh, a braid was coming through and you were just beyond excited and you yeah. know, the certain bands on the tour and they were all friends and they brought their record distro and you learned about Love It Records or you learned about Crank, Better yeah. Look, you just, you started just kind of diving in and, and going off in all these different areas and finding bands and Deep Elm and you just oh, found it and... Yeah. A, you felt like you were finding this thing that no one knew about because no one, no one was talking about it. It was Limp Bizkit on the radio, Dave Matthews Band. This it was a true. I mean, people say that kind of grunge was a sort of the last. I mean, obviously it didn't get to that point, but that was still that ninety six to two thousand. I didn't have a, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have. Yeah. It was you still had to kind of dive and really mm-hmm. dig deep and. I think I think you agree that the that that could have been the last sort of true scene to pop out without that social networking and yeah. it, it was word of mouth and touring. Yeah, I mean, and just the thing like May came along at the very at the tail end of that. I mean, it was definitely born out of that movement, but it 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 reached like the you know it kind of caught on to the tail end, and so we were my second tour with May was with Elliot. And so I'm just like a huge Elliot fan, you know, by, by this time I'm freaking out and I get to tour with Elliot, you know, I remember my Such old a great band. band. Yeah, they're amazing. I remember my old band played, opened up for them um, in Orlando at DIY Records, um, which was an awesome record store that so many great shows came through. Just from a Planet Line trio, um, you know, Elliot, I mean, that's just, you know, that was a great record store. And we got to open up for Elliot on the U.S. Songs tour. My old band didn't. I had no idea what was going on at the time. I got the I got into the band out of that show, and then you know in 2000 I guess four 2005 um, we got to tour with Elliot, and you know just being one of those guys and watching them play every night, just watching them play like you know Calm Americans or or, or anything off you know the uh, false cathedrals. It's just mind blowing, and the band was so good, and they never kind of breached they were they never able to breach that that level where they became, you know, like comfortable as a band, as you know, subsisting as a band. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were so ridiculously good. I mean, we got to tour with Piebald, got to tour with the New Amsterdam's, like I mentioned. Like, we got, you know, just a lot of good opportunities um, because we did, you know, we came from that scene. I mean, Dave, you know, 
maybe I'll correct him. He's a total deep elm guy, you know, like loved, you know, he came out of, of that scene as well. And, um, you know, we were just really fortunate to get on tour with some of these bands that we were listening to for, or I had been listening to at least for, for so long. I remember going to Tallahassee, driving four hours to Tallahassee from where I lived to see Pieball Saves the Day and Newfound Glory. Oh, nice. Yeah, the and, Elliot, there was an Elliot show. I was on the Rev Street team. Oh, nice. And, you know, flyered, and I obviously did a horrible job because no one showed up to the show. And it was at Cat's Cradle, which is a huge... For they were supposed to play Lizard and Snake, which was like two hundred, I believe, two fifty. This was eight hundred cap room, mm-hmm. empty as hell. <laughs> I I see Chris outside, and I said, "Hey, man, I'm from the street team. Like, can you do?" And I also work at the radio station. Can you do an ID? Like, yeah, sure. And he said, "Oh, you're on the street team." He's like, uh, "He's like, uh, you 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 weren't on the list." And I go, "Chris, twelve people here. I'm gonna buy." He's like, "No, no, no." It, you're all set. Like oh, he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't let me pay because I helped him out, and I was playing the record. He, he. I mean, there was no one at the show, and there was it was something about that night. It got moved, and there must have been some squirrel nut zipper show that half a cat's or half a Carborough <laughs> was at. But it was it, that kind of thing was that came from that movement. Like you just okay, you get it. You're you're good to go. Yeah. It and. Just the yeah. I mean, when you when you met people, and all it took for you to have a like an hour long conversation, just like you and I when we met, you know, in Albany, was to mention one record, one song, one band, just in passing in a conversation, and you can go, you know, you can go all night just talking to someone mm-hmm. based on based on the song you heard and the song you both loved, and you know that kind of thing is what what built, you know the community which offered, you know, you know, what became such this huge phenomenon when bands like Stage the Day and, and Get Up Kids uh, were able to, you know, I remember for me, they, they're the kind of first bands that kind of broke into that upper world of Rolling Stone and, and things like that. Outline Trio, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Saves the Day, the, the, I mean, the, before I worked at Equal Vision, I got, a, I got a demo tape of Can't Slow Down and I wore it out. I mean, the thing was unbelievable. And then I get a demo of Through Being Cool, and it's off the charts. It, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I was hearing that era's sort of, you know, record. This is what kids are going to be listening yeah. to. And the, I'm, the quick random story, I just remember this one, is that I was supposed to take – it was my senior year, and I called up Equal Vision, and I said – Hey, there's a I see an off date in between Virginia and South Carolina. Can I book saves the day? Oh man. And have I told you this story? No, go on. So I I Dan goes, Where are you gonna have him play? And I go, The pizza place I work at and he goes, Are you kidding? <laughs> I said, No, no, no. We're totally cool. We can book the pizza place. I got two other bands to open and he's like all right, let me talk to him. And obviously, I'm CC'd on an email to like, you know, Chris, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, sure." And he's like, "Is anyone going to show up?" Because it was still really new on that tour. People hadn't heard through being cool, and and so I said, "Don't worry about it." I flyered a Boy Sets Fire show, and so that's all I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, kids will be there because I flyered this show. It's it's a guarantee. Yeah. So I, the the night before, um, uh, or excuse me, the night the day after, I had my two final exams to graduate. It was the two most important classes, the two most important <laughs> exams. I booked a show the night before, so <laughs> I show up early, get the venue, get the we move all the tables and all this shit. The band rolls up. I'm I am like peeing my pants. I go. Holy crap, a band showed up from an email. You know, that was still crazy to me. Yeah. And they show up and they're like, "Hey, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so excited. We we packed the place. It was 250 kids. We had okay. to turn people away. It was unbelievable." And they and I have photos from the show and it's just that kind of that was that moment of that band was was hitting. And yeah. and from then on, you're totally right. They were that one of those ones that just catapulted from that time frame it was just perfect timing yeah they, they hit it right i remember my, my friend uh my friend ran a, a a punk website out of his out of his bedroom it was called fastmusic.com um which ended up uh being bought out by someone i don't even know why i mentioned that <laughs> my mind started taking me somewhere else um he had his website and he got demo sent to him and he got can't slow down um, from from Equal Vision, and we wore you know like he was like we wore it out. Like, he gave it to me, and I just listened to it over and over and over again. And I I bought the uh, that EP that came out of Indianola, the acoustic uh, stuff they did. I'm sorry, I'm leaving. Yes, I bought that um in between and it was totally different obviously it was an acoustic ep did did and you buy the vinyl or did you buy the cd just the cd oh, okay. at the time i had the record player or a record player so i you know obviously i was like super stoked on that as well and through being cool was about to come out and i remember calling the record store every day for a week waiting nice. for it to come out and the day it came out, he's like, you know, you probably got to see me. He's like, Zach, I'll call you when it comes in. I, you know, I prompt, you know, but I just kept calling. And that's so awesome. <laughs> finally, it came in. I went there and got it. And like that record, you know, you're right. Like it just like it was for me, you know, regardless of what had come out before that, blah, 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 what everyone can say. Like for me as a college kid, you know, I guess it was, you know, well, I don't know when it came out. I feel like I was a freshman in college. And I, you know, that was something totally new. And, you know, lyrically, it was totally new. And sonically, it was totally new. And everything was great. You know, I just listened to that over and over and over and over again. And that's why. How fresh does it still sound? It, it, I mean, like, I can just, you know, still hear these songs in the moments. I can remember the moments I first heard them. You know, yeah. and I, I can, as a, as a 30-year-old now, I can listen to the lyrics and say, okay, well, that seems kind of dramatic, blah, 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 blah. And, but at the same time, like, the lyrics... That's one of the big sellers for me on that band was how, you know, just like humble and vulnerable he was and yeah. how specific he was. I mean, for, I was just like, oh, this is great. And the guitar playing, you know, and those guys turned out, you know, they just got better and better and better. I think in Reverie is one of their best records. Mm -hmm. And the guitar playing on those records is, are, are, you know, they're so good. They know exactly what they want to do and they're to in total control. And I saw that band as many times as I could. Um, when they'd come through, I, I'd drive hours and hours to go see them. And to this day, you know, I saw, last time I saw them was in, uh, where was I? Maybe Austin. And, mm -hmm. and on May's last tour, I think I, they played the same night we did. And I walked down 
and checked them out and you know they're they're still a great band and you know they're still putting out good records but that band for me was one of the ones that just like launched me into the whole other stratosphere in terms of what i liked and what i you know what i wanted to listen to yeah that that record gets requested every dj night that we work really Um, yeah every night there's always a kid i mean yes we're near new jersey so a lot of kids are older not kids i am so sorry to even say kids people my age (laughs) old shits um they're requesting that record still and i put it on and that same feeling but it also it it sounds new it's not like i'm putting on sorry i'm gonna make fun of brother's keeper a brother's keeper record and you put it on and it sounds like oh wow that totally sounds like 95 96 but this you put that on and i mean it could have come out you know today and they they could be on tour with New Found Glory right now or whoever and some new band and it would sound just as new. Yeah, I, you know, like what, you know, they just had it and I was going to say something else. Um, oh, those, uh, you know, those vagrant comps. Year on the yeah. Streets, like those were the, those were it for me for a while. Like when, if vagrant was putting it out, you know, no motive. Um, obviously, they, they had this like stellar roster: New Alkaline Trio, New Found Glory, not New Found Glory, but essentially the Alkaline Trio, Get Up Kids. You know, this powerhouse for a very long time. And whatever compilations they put out, I'd pick it up. And I remember just like being so stoked on a Dragon D flat, and someone will close them off to heaven. Like listening yeah. to those tracks over and over and over again. And I still, to this day, you know, when they when they come through live or, or if I'm listening to them, I just got to find those tracks and just play them because they're ridiculous. They're so good. And to this day, yeah, you know. What's so- <laughs> the, no, no, I think, that's, I think that brings up a point too with sort of you guys – at starting when Saves the Day kind of hit the 2000s, I was just graduating. I was, you were sort of in the same boat. What when May sort of you guys were when you got them, you were still. I mean, the the wave was still there. This the wave was was there, and I think, I think talk about sort of, you know, some of the highs and lows with 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 May and when you kind of, guys were on those tours. Like, what what was the feeling? What was sort of the sentiment? Any kind of stories from that that you kind of take from yeah i mean honestly from the day i joined up until like 2006 or 7 you know it's it was all go it was everything was on the rise i mean i saw you guys with like you guys are on a bus like whatever like on tour with the fray or something i mean some amphitheater and i'm like Dude, this is like May in an amphitheater in a bus. Like for me, not that I'm saying you guys couldn't do that, but it just yeah. you guys were at that point. Yeah, I mean, it became this. And that's the thing. Like at that point, you know, the band, the unit, you know, called May, was in like this entity that was surviving apart from who we were, and that's kind of like a a, a negative thing to say, and it is because we had gotten to a point we were always on the rise, you know, from the day I joined up until we signed to capital, everything was just go, go, go. Like we kept getting more successful and more successful and more successful. And, um, we had great people working for us. We, you know, Eva was our one and only booking agent for as long as we were touring. And, you know, I trusted her and I still do. And every decision we make, just because she came from that world that I grew up listening to, the Jimmy World, the Hot Water Music. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, we had um, our buddy John Frazier. He was a tooth and nail. Um, and he, you know, was just there for us. So we had this great team in place that we trusted. And everything was just clicking. You know, we'd get one tour. We'd go into the next tour. You know, we'd go into the next tour. We were always touring. And all the tours were great. And then we started headlining. And all the headlining tours were great. And that was a really important thing for us to do was, and you know, it was headline, start headlining when we did. A lot of bands wait to headline and they become a support band. They, they, they just, they're like this very small window, I think, to, to make that leap to being a headlining band when you're on the rise. Because you got to put faith and the kids will come out. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, we were still reaping the benefit from that, from that era where people just came out to shows based on word of mouth and based on, you know, like you and I were talking about earlier, and so we started, you know, our first headline tour was, at, was with Copeland, who was another great band. And that's one of the, you know, you can talk about fond memories, you know, just like we're both in vans and the shows were like two to 300 tops. Like they were just like really great, comfortable, packed shows. Uh, all the bands got along great. And, you know, like there's nothing more we could ask for at that time. Everything was great. And then, you know, you just keep going until you're on that bus. And, you know, I remember we got to a point where we decided to sign the Capitol Records. And that's like this weird thing where it sounds so cliche to say, but at that point, you know, like things like had to change. And it's not that things, you know, were out of our control. You know, I'm not trying to make the major labels out to be evil. Mm-hmm. or all this you know all this like crap or whatever i just think that that decision to make and we made it too soon if i can speak frankly i think we should have held out a little bit longer but we signed the capital we were confident mm-hmm. and you know it got to this point where we were having to you know make a claim on ourselves as a band and as individuals and we didn't know who we were or what we wanted to do ultimately and you know it's just this thing where i think a lot of emo bands you know quote unquote like dealt with that same thing i think even more so when they became popular and didn't at all expect to i mean may was in this environment where these bands were becoming more popular and you could you know you you could imagine getting to a certain level but you know a band like the get up kids or a band like saves the day that were kind of you know at that you know in a very comfortable place where you could you could be a touring band Mm -hmm and you know make money but you also have this potential to become a lot bigger and be a lot be in front of a lot more people like you know saves the day touring with weezer i mean it's a very strange thing and and we got to tour with weezer too and it's just a very strange thing it's totally different worlds and you have to present yourselves as if you know what you're doing (laughs) and we didn't know what we were doing and you know obviously i can't speak for saves the day but when we're on these big tours you know uh the fray or foo fighters and weezer or anything like that. I mean, we had to come off as confident and in control, and we weren't. And we were still this like you know young band. And um, every memory I have with May is a high. Um, even you know the the later years, we got really stressed out on you know on capital, blah blah blah, all this stuff that just you know, happens to bands. And I you know I think that you know a band growing is is a difficult thing to maintain and a difficult thing to. Uh, harnessing and control but you know to be a kid like i was and be on tour with piebald who i loved that, um, be on, 
that's like a dream. I mean, you yeah. you were do- I always felt out of all the guys in the band, I mean, I know a lot everyone personally and it's like I felt you sort of were accepting of the life a lot well, more. Well, that's the thing. Like I toured in a van. You did it already. Yeah, I was like so and that's not to take away the the work that May put into it and they did their crappy tours as well before me. And even, you know, with me, we were still growing and still putting our putting our hours, you know. We were mm-hmm. slipping around gear up, up the narrow stairs at Toledo's Bottle Rocket, you know, like <laughs> all this stuff. And, you know, but yeah, for me, like, I remember on, we were on, the first year we were on Warp Tour. I was walking around the the field. We were in Houston, I think, the parking lot. We were, I was with Jacob. And, um... Jeff Rickley from Thursday comes up to us. He's a super sweet guy. And obviously Thursday, by the time that it was huge, you know, huge then, yeah. And I knew like, I was like, holy crap, you know, I'm the fan guy that comes out. Like my heart starts beating (laughs) and I'm like, he's coming to talk to us. He's really nice. He's just talking and Jacob handles himself well, you know, obviously he's a great communicator. He just talks well. He's, he's awesome. And we walk away and Jacob's like, who is that? And I'm just like, holy crap! Like, <laughs> that was like the singer Thursday. This band is huge, you know. Like, they're, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think made May so refreshing to me and helped me a whole lot. I was like, they had this kind of innocence about them that I mean, they didn't know the world they were getting into. Whereas I came up and I was like a dork about bands like Elliot and about bands like Piebald. Yep. And. You know all of these things like that, and so, you know, I was just like, "Whole, you know, this is amazing." And I, you know, I, I obviously I don't regret one day, and I, I think in so many we were, you know, in Europe with Cody and Cambria, you know, we just I got so many great opportunities, you know, to hang out with bands that I I looked up to, and um, you know, I went and traded for the world, and yeah, I, I just the band afforded me a whole lot or allowed me to, you know, you know, we, we recorded a record with Ken Andrews. And, you know, that's just a feat in itself. And, you know, the experiences we had were amazing. And I'm trying to think of specific stories, you know. Let's keep talking about it. What are well, we I, you know, the other thing I was thinking of is I always was fascinated was, you know, the your uh, sort of uh, fans overseas in Japan. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the last two shows you guys ever played were in, in Asia. Yeah. So the what what was you know what was kind of I mean a lot of bands go over there and in Australia and all that stuff but what was it about you guys <laughs> getting over there I mean was what sort of the some of the things that kind of connected that Um you know what I I don't even I couldn't even say I mean I remember we went over there in 2004 I think it's the first time we went and we just went cuz a band um called Drumcon liked us and they asked us to come over we went over there and they had toured with Elliot previously. Wow. Uh, Japan too. So I don't know what this band, they just liked, you know, you know, good music. And so they invited us over and that was in 2004 and the shows were really small, but I don't know, like something just, you know, our Japanese fans, they, they love us and not, you know, we're thankful. I don't know specifically know what it is. Maybe it was the, the May character that we had kind of put on, you know, put out there. Um, you know, May has, you know, the word itself is, you know, like means something specific to them, you know, to, to in the Asian language. So 
I, I, I couldn't even say, but yeah, I just always was fascinated about that. I they, mean, I, I would always bust Rob's balls about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, we didn't have like the, the, the Chinese keyboard player and yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't, it's just, you know, the, from that day, like from that first tour, the tours we did, like, you know, after that, they all got bigger until that, you know, yeah, we made it a point to play Japan just because they had been such a, you know, like ridiculous experience for us, like, mm-hmm. you know, spiritually, sonically, everything you could imagine. Um, we experienced so much in Japan and we gone there like six times. Uh, we got to play the Fuji Festival, Fuji Rock. And, uh, you know, yeah, we thank them over and over again. And they're like a part of May's identity, just like our Japanese, you know, our, our experiences in Japan yeah. are, are ridiculous. Um, yeah. <laughs> was the you know another thing I was thinking of is is the you know touring and the bus and the van and all those different experiences and I mean you guys I mean the bands you've been listing off that you've toured with those are the who's who of of that time and I actually just recently saw the documentary for the swell season and it had this scene that I thought would be kind of interesting was it was them all it was uh, Glenn and Marqueta complaining. Um, and sort of arguing about who was going to go out and, and see the fans. Um, and, you know, they didn't, one of them didn't want to. The other one said, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go do it. And you watch the video from the perspective of you're in the band walking out. So all these dorks come at you, start saying how much they love you. And I start feeling like, oh, my God, I am that person. <laughs> Did Was there, I mean, you guys, I mean, this scene, I think, you know, it's not the one that you're being whisked away to the, to the jets. It's you're walking out to the merch table and hanging, but did that, I mean, was that grading? Were there things that, you know, you guys would be like, God, who, who, who needs, I mean, I'm sure with capital, you had to do a lot of stuff. You didn't want to with a bunch of radio responsibilities and things and things that kind of come with that. What did you guys ever get to that point where you were like, God, enough well, it's funny to yeah to be honest i mean there are times when we were just tired and we would rather keep to ourselves um but you know to speak truthfully i think it's one of those things that becomes something you're 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 thankful that you did yeah once you're out there um i mean may's always had a good relationship um with the fans, I, I want to say, you know, I feel like we have. And even, you know, even in our bitterest time when we were just, you know, kind of down on what was going on, and there was a rough patch, you know, with, you know, just with the singularity uh, record cycle, um, relationally within the band, um, show-wise, just the, the turnouts that um, we had that we, we weren't used to. Um it got exhausting and you know, like I'm not going to be the guy that complains about what I was able to, to do for the last 10 years or nine years, but you know, you're still this insecure person or, or me. I was, you know, we wanted, we wanted to get bigger, but we didn't want to, you know, be jerks. We just, we, we wanted to like kind of keep this balance that we were having a hard time doing. Yeah. What were some of the things that kind of, I mean, the, the you said some of the difficulties, and I mean, I, I totally would maybe be at those shows, and you were like, "Oh, we think we're going to play this venue, and it ends up being this one, and then it's not as full." The, could you just kind of 
could you guys did was what was the stress was it just why are we still doing this what's the because i feel like a lot of bands went through that and i kind of joking now 10 years later everyone's sort of reforming and playing again because we wanted to hear your first two records 10 years ago but you just wanted to play your you know experimental record um that's my joke with all these bands but what was sort of the you know you guys did the arena tour but it really wasn't that far off of when you you know sort of stopped yeah um, and obviously having rob and and mm-hmm. mark back and stuff but what mm-hmm. you know as you guys kind of sitting there on the bus as you're rolling out at 2 a.m are those discussions that you're like what the fuck is going on yeah i mean we had uh, you know those moments you know just i i just think that we all you know as a, when you're young and and things are kind of on the up and up you ignore potential issues that you should tackle. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't even know they're there, but I think once you keep doing it, you, you tour more and more, then you're kind of, you know, you have to think about what you need to do to keep touring. And I think that's a dangerous thing to kind of really delve into, to, to start thinking about what you need to do to keep doing what you're doing. You became, you become really cognitive about the decisions you make. And you might make a decision you don't want to make, but you think it's a smarter decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start thinking differently. And at the same time, you're not really nurturing your individual relationships. You're not nurturing your creative relationships. You might be nurturing your own creative drive, but you're not nurturing your creative relationship and dynamic with the other guys in the band. And, you know, when we recorded Singularity, we barely saw each other. And That was in L.A., right? Yeah, that was a uh, base seven, I think, in L.A., North Hollywood. And the band had two apartments, so we were split up as a band. I was with Mark and, and Mark and Rob, and Dave was with Jacob and our videographer at the time, uh, Brett Brownell. So we weren't even, a, like, we didn't even come back to the same place. Wow. Um, in the studio, Dave would work with, with Howard Benson and he would produce the record. He would do vocals all day with him and I would do guitars. So I did most of the guitars on that record um, without ever seeing Dave. And Rob, was, and Rob was in his own world playing keyboards and Jacob was done with drums within like four or five days. So he wasn't even working after that point. God, drummers get the life with the... <laughs> if Once you get the drums done, you can like you can plan so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the experience was so isolating and you're trying to make a record with a band or as a band. You know, so, you know, compare that to the Everglow where we were all staying in the same place. We all were at the studio every day. Um to singularity where we weren't ever really around each other and you know me and dave really wanted to make this rock and roll like grunge record you know because we were really stoked on pearl jam and tunnel piles at the time we were reacting to a lot of things we were reacting to what people were saying about us we were reacting to what people expected of us it was like this combination of vulnerability and confidence and just isolation and it was just you know, that's not going to make a good record. We made some demos. Before we recorded the record, we made demos in this house in Virginia Beach. And the demos were so good, you know. And I don't want to knock on Singularity. I think the record, being 
part of the process. I think the record, you know, is really fun and it's a really good record. But I understand why fans maybe kind of reacted the way they did. And Singularity was one of our least, you know, I think fans didn't like that record as much as they liked the Everglow. I think it's safe to say. Well, it's, I mean, the the Everglow, just, I mean, you, if it's just funny, it's called Singularity and you guys were completely single putting that record together. <laughs> um, and I always wondered why Brink of Disaster wasn't the single. I remember wondering that for like years, being like, why well, wasn't that the single? I'll tell you what, Tom, like you talk about people with a different opinion in every direction you look. And it's just like, oh, and that's the thing. Like we went to a major with the intent to become a major band. Like we didn't want to, you know, skirt it. You know, we just said, okay, well, you know, we had asked for producers like, you know, Gil Norton and Eric Valentine or Brendan O'Brien. Yep. And Capitals, like, okay, well, they're not available. But Howard Benson and Lou Giordano are available. And obviously, Lou Giordano, we were a fan of because he had done Rising Tide, Sunday Real Estate's record. And that record's ridiculous. But we met him, you know, didn't click. and, And Howard Benson, you know, at the time, he had, you know, and still he's a very, very successful producer. And so, like, we're just kind of in this very vulnerable but confident spot. We're like, okay, well, we can do it. You know, we can be this band that kind of breaks this pattern. And we can we can be, the, you know, what we want to be. But we didn't know what we wanted to be. Um, we weren't on the same page. You know, communication was bad. It was just this thing. I mean, you know, we don't even know how it happened. It just develops because you're starting to think about what you need to do to stay where you are. Yep. And not enjoy you know i remember being and this is stupid you know uh, on on my part i remember being just like bummed on tour but we had sold out like five of seven shows that week wow and i remember thinking like what the heck is my problem and you know i couldn't even tell you to this day i was just a jackass you know but it's just you know i don't like to like trivialize or make it you know so dramatic for people you know, that, that's, oh, whatever, you know, you're lucky you're in a bus, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I understand that we were very, very, very lucky. But, you know, that's not to take away the fact that we were individuals, we were kids, you know, trying to keep things together with a bunch of people who didn't really care about who we were or what we were or what we wanted to be. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was it was almost if they you know they didn't realize the history of the records and and everglow and destination beautiful and just the sort of it was almost just like all right here's your guy here's your song go yeah and i feel like that that mentality sometimes works you you we 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 could be having this discussion and you could be in milan right now who knows um and it's 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 that you did it and I think a lot of bands were scared. I think a lot of bands didn't. I think, um, you know, maybe got the opportunity and didn't do it and wanted to keep their ideals. I I commend a band and I think commend you guys for for trying it. What? Why not? You had two tooth and nail records. Go. Yeah, I mean, there's a thing where you know you you don't want to be the band that says we should have done this when we had the chance. You did and, it at you did it at that point. Yeah, we said you know. Um, our A&R guy, uh, Louis Bandek at, at Capitol, when we were at Capitol, was an amazing dude, and he still is. He had been watching the band for years, and that's why I want people to understand it wasn't a split decision. It wasn't like we were like, oh, okay, let's do it, you know? 
we had thought about it. Um, we had talked to Tooth and Nail, you know, John. I mean, everything about the decision we made was thought out as much as it could be. But we couldn't plan on the fact that Capital merged with Virgin weeks after the record got finished, and then Virgin got bought up by EMI. Or, I mean, EMI got bought up by Terra Firma, you know, weeks later. Like, all that stupid cliche stuff happened. Yeah. Um, that made, that put our record in the hands of a bunch of strangers. You know, I remember when we first signed to Capital, we had Tom Osborne, who had been the product manager at Vagrant, or had been working at Vagrant. Which uh, I had his email at, at Vagrant. It, mine was Tom at Vagrant. And so all these people were still emailing him thinking it was me. <laughs> and it was funny. Yeah. And he was a great guy. <laughs> great guy. Yeah. It was, we were very comfortable with where we were when we signed. But it's those things. I mean, like, it just happened. And we ended up just stressed out on shows, stressed out on the record, stressed out. I mean, but, you know, we made the record we made. I'm not going to blame it on anything else. Like, Capital did not make us make a record we didn't want to make. We did the record we made and, you know, it just turned out that it didn't connect with kids and I understand why. But I think at the same time and some of the songs on those record on that record are, are some of our best. Um I remember the first song we posted, it was a song that Rob wrote Rob wrote a guitar riff and it was total Foo Fighters, kind of stacked actors vibe. Yep. And um, it's the first track on the record, or it's like a, I don't even know where the, the track is, like a reverse track or some stupid, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to find uh, on the record, but um, it's one of my favorite May songs, and it still is to this day, and people just don't like it. I think, <laughs> I think Bring the Ashes is a good song. I think uh, Reflections is a great song. I think there's a lot of good songs on that record, but, you know, I just wasn't what people wanted to hear. It didn't catch on the radio, because for some reason, it released the single we did, and didn't release, like, just let go or bring a disaster, which are both stronger songs in retrospect. But you know, I think these problems that that May had, I think every band has, and I and I think that when your band can get past these difficulties, that I think every band just has growing pains. They have to keep it together as a unit, and it's very difficult. And if you can do it, I mean, more power to you. I mean, a band like Pearl Jam, I can stay together for twenty years. I mean, um, I was I was thinking of the when I watched the Foo Fighters doc. Yeah, Foo Fighters, like the fact they went through a lot of crap, you know, and they just kept it together. And, you know, they came out on the other side and, you know, May, you know, we're all still, you know, very close. You know, we just, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, what, what can you say? Yeah, I I, I think the, turning it positive, I mean, one of my favorite songs is Bloom. Bloom, yeah. And, Dude, Bloom you know. is on my mixtapes. Bloom gets played on my emo night. And kids come <laughs> up. Sorry, not kids again. Damn it. <laughs> people my age that are old. People. Or whenever I say kids, everyone, it means yeah. people my age that are old. <laughs> so the people would come up and say, who is this? Or I never heard this song. And it's that the, I think, you know, there was so much, you know, when you guys did get together and as that unit, together i mean seeing those first couple shows and you guys playing new york and just seeing the that was it and i think bloom is is what is literally i think one of your best songs it's funny when me dave and jacob were in um dave's in-laws garage one night we had a studio set up up, up above the garage because we were writing this word we had written a lot of our uh, rehearsed for a lot of the tours we've been doing recently and um, we were going through old demos from Singularity, and Dave just has 
everything we ever recorded um, leading up to Singularity on his hard drive. And we were just going through these tracks and Rob had written that piano line, that intro you hear mm-hmm. on, on Bloom. And we heard it and all three of us immediately just said, okay, you know, we need to do this song. We need to, we didn't make it a song. And, you know, Rob was back in the fold again because, you know, we were going to that tour. And so that song came together so quickly and so easily um, just because it was, you know, like you say, it's like you know, the kind of thing where you don't have to force it and it just happens. And it was all, it was all of us, you know, back in that unit that we were before that just kind of came through and you can hear it. And yeah, exactly. That's, you know, one of my favorite, those are one of my favorite songs. I love playing it live and, you know, yeah. And I think it's the lyrically it's, it's total May, you know, it's everything about that song is, is the five original members of May. Mm-hmm. Um, I say original, obviously Matt Beck was there before me, but, but it was it, you, definitely there longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and I don't know, man, like, I mean, I think in retrospect, you know, May was just a rock band, you know, obviously, you know, there's, you know, I, you just say emo, it kind of, you know, you imagine yourself in this song for me, like a band, like, you know, the impact that mineral had on me, I can't imagine. I, it's still weird to me to see kids with May tattoos and, and tell me what impact May had on them. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that just like blows my mind every time. And me and Rob, you know, we still live together up until a couple weeks ago or a couple, I guess, last week. And we'll still sit down and just talk about like, you know, of all the crap that we went through and what ultimately, you know, like all the stuff that happened. You know, you still have this band that you're a part of that that kids just like identified with and like loved. And I think you guys should take that away. I mean, from the reunion tour and everyone's so excited for that. And I agree. I mean, I would see Rob and you and everyone would have the same experience, not just me, but we'd see you at this tour date, have this great experience, have a memory. And then, you know, you guys would, it would be, you guys would be moving. We would be staying still. But then when you, when you guys got to sit still and think about it, they were good memories. They were yeah. good feelings. And that's the reunion. I mean, there's a lot of forced reunions. And I feel like like Texas is the reason show was really cool. You know, 10 years and they did the two shows and that was it. It wasn't like they did the tour and then they, oh, wait a minute. People like us again. <laughs> you know, it was we're going to do these shows and that's it. And yeah. I think that tour was such a great idea because kids wanted to sort of have that. And it is great that, yeah, if I saw Chris Simpson from Mineral Rock and the Street, I am nerding out all day. <laughs> yeah. I went I went and saw Zookeeper at South by, South by Southwest at like 2 a.m. just to <laughs> stare at him. And I think to have kids say that to you, you guys should feel just just as good. And like you did have that moment and there that time frame and that era and that moment that I think it's not like you need to be in the rock and roll hall of fame and you got to be in the, some footnote somewhere. It's that there's a kid there that's loves you guys just as much. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a Tumblr blog called fuck. Yeah. May I didn't know that. Yeah. And like I, and I follow it, you know, and that's the thing. Like it reminds me like these people are still stoked on, you know, what we did it like even up to the three EPs that we put out. Um, in the last uh, 2009. Um, and it's just like a reminder, you know, that you connected with someone on a certain level. And for me, it was difficult. Like, 
I had become, you know, this person on stage. I was, I was having a hard time relating to our audience um, in a very specific way. I just got caught up in like a bunch of bullshit. You know, you, you start to you start to get distracted by certain things when you have. I don't even know why. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no explanation for it that I can think of that would make sense. But then things bring you back down to earth, and you know, they make you remember how much you love music. And, you know, why you got into this whole thing in the first place is because the experience that kids have watching May play is the same experience I had watching Stage of the Day play or No Effects play or, you know, anyone play, you know, like going to Warp Tour and seeing like The Descendants play and MXPX, stuff like that. Like those moments are timeless and they keep happening over and over and over again. If, If you're lucky enough to be a part of a band, that allows people to connect to you in such a way and you know I, you know totally humbled and thankful so i think it's awesome and i think uh, you know tying it back all into you know the whole reason for the podcast and the blog i think that this movement you know whatever it is now and definitely for whatever it was uh connected with with people in, in a new way and that's why that's the only reason something catches on is if if people can relate to it and i think uh you know, the bands that we both grew up on definitely were able to do that and just write something that we're all able to relate with. Yeah. No, that you said it really well, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You should, uh, you, you, you should be on every week. Cause I can't talk. Um, love it. I love, I love it. And I remember seeing your blog for the first time. I was like, finally, you know, someone who wants, who cares about it enough to, uh, to attempt to take it back. Like, cause you that's see, exactly what it was. Like you see it being bastardized. And like, if you were someone new who, who, who was, ex, you know, exposed to emo, you would dismiss it as some kind of gimmick. But that's not, you know, it was the thing that got out of control because of how good it was, not because of how bad it was or of how, you know, silly it was is because these bands offered something to people that a couple guys in a couple rooms thought they could make money on. Yeah. Exactly, and I remember. I mean, I was so angry, and that was the only way that I could express myself, because people would say they'd be like, I mean, when an internship that I had in college, um, and this is you know years before I started it, they nicknamed me Emo Boy. I'm actually not. There's a compilation I actually put together as in an internship. They thanked me as Emo Boy, not as Tom. I was so pissed, but that. That's what it was, and and it was just after a lot of you know the the word being misused, and and, and you know there's some funny things I've done with the blog. I mean, people yeah. may have seen the my petition to on the Clarity Tour for Jimmy Eat World to play the full 16 minutes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I think was a valid valid petition. <laughs> oh man, uh, I, told, I told Jimmy World the National in Richmond. Um, I guess it was on the uh, Invented Tour. And i tell you what, I have mixed feelings about Jimmy World's more recent releases. Yep. But that band still is spot on live. Oh, yeah. Like, I, the, it's, they, 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 I remember the, there was a, probably the, was it the same tour? I was in, I was in Los Angeles and, um, they played um, some K-Rock thing, and I remember going out to talk to Francesca 
my girlfriend at the time, it, or not at the time, Jesus Christ, at that time, I was I, I was on the West Coast. She was on the East Coast. Well, we were time trained, so I would have to leave things and say talk to her because we wouldn't. You know, I was on different time zone, and so I'm talking to her. I get back. Um, Zach um, is um, from Jimmy World is sitting and standing in my seat, and my coworker uh, at the time was sitting next to him. And I'm like staying next to him the whole time. I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. After we didn't have a chance to talk, he ended up, you know, leaving during it, and it was during Muse. I found out after that. Um, I asked my co I was like, why did the why did Jimmy World play whatever song they wanted? Because they played Disintegration, they played all these tracks, and he asked the drummer, and, and you know, Zach was like, I I I don't I we don't care anymore. We want to play what we want to play. Yeah. And I just thought that was great because from, you know, the the middle and all that kind of stuff for them to still say, you know, we're going to play whatever we want. And it kind of said to me, okay, I'm the old guy out here. You're still talking to me instead of playing. Well, they do still play sweetness in the middle to end shows, which I hope they'd stop at some point, but <laughs> they're, they're at least throwing those little nuggets in there. Cause there's so many records obviously, but I, I thought that was kind of a really cool way of like, we don't care. Yeah. I mean, that band. I think for for them to go make a record like Clarity, I saw them in, in, at the the Sapphire Supper Club in Orlando. They played at like one o'clock in the afternoon. It was on the Clarity tour, and you know, so Capital was pushing really hard. And that was the first time I'd seen that band, and they were amazing. And then up until the the last time I saw them, you know, they're just like to to make the records they made, like from Clarity. To Bleed American. Bleed American is such a good record. It's like a perfect pop record. To make a song like The Middle, I mean, how many singles came from that record? Like successful radio singles. Totally. They're all great songs. And, you know, the, they made the exact record they wanted to make on their own terms from going from Clarity to Bleed American. It wasn't the same record. Um, it wasn't a better record necessarily it was just the perfect record for what they wanted to do it's so good yeah and you know that that kind of thing is hard and i think you know and then when you see when you see him play live you realize that they're still the band you fell in love with and you know when they break out a song like futures or i love that record yeah the record's a great record well, it, it is, you know, I, I am still the guy that leaves during the middle, but um, <laughs> just so I can beat the frat guys out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the Clarity Tour was such a cool thing. And I know they did some Bleed American dates out west um, and they had I, Christy Front Drive open one of the shows, which I thought was, you know, nice and uh, just, yeah, the, it, you're, you're totally 100% correct in that you see them and you still get those memories. And I think from your back to May, I mean, the reunion tour, kids were doing that. I was doing that in my head, you know, as you guys were busting out those songs, I was like, man, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And it was, that, 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 that tour was a whole lot of fun because like, you know, like, you know, Zach, you know, I mentioned to you, like we're just doing, you know, there's at a certain point, a band remembers how to have fun. Yeah. And I think may have forgotten for a long time. And because you guys were smiling at that last show, yeah. There's times where I would come see you in New York and it'd be like, What's up, dude? Hey, want to get some food? No, I'm good. We're gonna go back to it. But that, we were like, What are we doing? We want to hang out, or what's oh, I'm gonna it, it just it was it, there, there was like a something back, 
Well, yeah, and that, it's great that we got that back, and it's a bummer that we had lost it for a certain time, but I know exactly what you're talking about. There are tours, and there are times when we were just, something was just not there, whether, you know, whatever it was. I mean, you know, we were just, like, on a bus playing, you know, these shows, like, disconnected, you know? And I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I apologize to say that. I mean, we had... You know, people come out and see our shows, and people knew, people could tell. You know, we weren't, we weren't, you know, blind, we weren't deaf, we, we could tell, you know. And I just want to, you know, either go back on the bus or, you know, have a drink and go to bed. Um, it's a bummer. But then, you know, you do a tour like the one we just did, the, the last tour we did, and you just remember... I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like maybe you don't. You know, we didn't think we weren't trying to go anywhere else. We weren't focused on anything but having a good time. And um, yeah, I think kids can tell. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. Like fans that come out to see shows are a lot more perceptive than I think anyone ever realizes. And they can always tell. They're the, they're the greatest gauge um, for a band to really understand where they are where they might have gone off, gone wrong. Um, if a band has really good fans and honest and true fans, then those fans will make you feel really awkward if you're doing the wrong thing. So, you know, fans kind of keep bands in check. And that's a, you know, that's an important thing. Yeah, no, I think that's totally right, man. I mean, I think what, uh, I'd love to just kind of figure out what's, what have you been doing since? What's next? What's sort of the th- you know, as you kind of move into the next chapter, I think everyone would really dig to kind of hear what's next, man. Well, um, I'll tell you what's going on right now is I'm in school. I'm trying to get my degree in uh, philosophy and religious education or uh, religious studies, which is a very lucrative field. I'm hoping to make millions and millions of dollars. (laughs) Um, Jacob is in a band called River James. Great. With, uh, Vince from Army of Me. And they've been playing shows. Um, I don't know what they're doing right now, but, you know, that's what he's been doing since May, kind of like stop touring as much. Dave's in Nashville doing um, a new project called Schematic. Um, so look out. I don't know exactly what the website is, um, but I'm sure if you search it, um, you will find it. And uh, he's kind of got this whole thing planned out that he's, he's hoping to reveal pretty soon, I think. Um, Rob is uh, working just like me, um, you know, just uh, making ends meet. Mark is, uh, Mark is still recording and, and engineering um, whenever he gets, you know, that's his full-time gig. So that's all we're doing right now. But I will announce on this uh, podcast, we haven't announced it yet officially, I love this. Exclusive. Yeah, this is exclusive. Um, we're going to go on a short run in Europe in January. I think January 1st to January 7th, I want to say. Very short. Um, and I know this kind of complete confuses fans. I might say, oh, you guys had broken up or done this or done that. Yeah, because I just called out bands that did that earlier. You're right. And you're right. <laughs> us out. Uh, at this point, Tom, I'm impervious. We have to say it. Whatever. Um, but... We had never gotten a chance to play Europe when we were in May. Like, we had played London and the UK, which was great. We had played Japan, Australia, Singapore, the Philippines, Canada, Mexico. But we had never played Europe for some reason. I have no idea why. And so we recently gotten an offer. 
And who are we to turn down a date in Paris and Belgium and Germany? Nope. Um, and Glasgow again. So we're doing that January 1st. It's with um, a band called Rookie of the Year. So I, I, I should announce that. We will have the dates up soon with ticket links. And so anyone awesome. in Europe um, and London who wish to see us um, for the first and potentially last time. That's the thing. I mean, what can I say about May's Future? Um you know, I, we have no plans to do anything, but that's not to say we'll never do anything again. Um, to our fans that like, drove a whole long way to see us at the Norva in November, which was our last U.S. show. Um, it still is our last U.S. show. We're not planning anything. We don't need days planned. Um, so we thank you for coming out to that show. And as far as anyone who's confused or blah, 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 what can I say? You know, we're just people. We we, we stopped doing May not because we hated each other, not because we hated May, just because we had to move on to something else in our lives, and that's all it was. And, you know, if we come back to being in May again, if we have this great idea that we can't pass up um, or opportunity, I mean, we're going we're gonna to do what we want to do, regardless of what people may expect of us or, you know anything like that. So that's awesome. No, I think I know it's, I know you're covering up your tracks. No, it's fine. Uh, I know I'm, I'm completely understanding that it's, if it's coming from the right reason and coming from the right place where, Hey, we got this great idea. Let's make music. There's no thing to say. I mean, there's bands that are, I mean, didn't I just read somewhere? I mean, like the replacements are going to play a show. I mean, it's just all those kind of, it's okay. It's just the, the, I'm not saying it has to be the right context, but I think there are fans that want to hear it. And there's, and I think if, if you guys feel it in your heart, then I think it's the right thing to do. And you, and you also didn't, um, I mean, let me know if there's a space in the bunk, man. Feel free. <laughs> well, you know what? If Howard Music can play a show in Gainesville and call it their last show, then Meg can play a show with Norva and call it their last show. Yes. And, you know, perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. Lifetime is another one that came back. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, we're just people. And May, you know, I, like, I'll be honest, like, I would love to be in the studio with May again. Um, but like you said, it has to be, it can't just be some, you know, um, record that we make because we're bored. You know, yeah. like May, like, you know, some, the, what, I was able to experience in May and what I was taught um, in May and all that stuff that I became because of May, um, you know, I will never, you know, turn my back on that completely. And if, it, uh, you know, I don't think anyone else in the band would. Um, we talk all the time. We're always in communication with each other. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years old. Um, I'm sure, you know, I'm going to be getting married soon. So, uh, I was just growing up. I yeah. love it, man. I yeah. love it. No, I think it's great. I mean, it's the reason why we're still friends and yeah, hey, you decided to do this. So I appreciate so it, man. Like, you know, uh, for everyone that's listening out there, I mean, we're going on an hour and 22 minutes right now, which is great for Tom and I. <laughs> Maybe it's not for the people listening. Um, and Tom would bring me records uh, in LA when he was a vagrant. I'd say, hey, Tom, can you bring me just whatever you have on vinyl? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> I, you know, he brought me under the boards and vinyl, a lot of like get up kids working from the crypt. So, yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks. Hell yeah, man. No problem, man. This is <laughs> the reason we're, we're, I mean, if if you told me early on that you listened to Dave Matthews Band, this would have not have happened. <laughs> this would have never come to fruition. No. <laughs>
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1 so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.